I worry that ministers have now allowed pastoral care giving to trump all other, as far as I can see, ministerial responsibilities, particularly the responsibility of being a servant of the truth. You want to you you continue this theological discussion in a car or in a jailhouse from the cops? What are pastors for and who gets to decide? How do the needs of our churches and the expectations of our culture shape the way that pastors do their work? Will Willeman believes that our therapeutic age has hijacked pastoral ministry, and today he's talking with us about the need for the church to recover a biblical understanding of pastoral ministry and the dangers inherent in not doing so. Will Willeman is a retired bishop in the United Methodist Church, the author of dozens of books, and he's a whole lot of fun to talk with. Stay with us. Welcome to Everything Just Changed, where we envision a post-culture war church and equip leaders who just can't even anymore. Everything Just Changed is hosted by Bryce Hales and Brad Edwards. Will Willeman, thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to have you with us. Wonderful to be here. Hey, uh, we have we have multiple points that we are really excited to talk to you about, especially because um, this is actually the second time we've had this conversation and had a a uh, really unfortunate uh, cloud saving of files glitch. Um, but it just means it's gonna we're gonna have even more opportunity to go even deeper and have even more fun than we had before, which is saying something. So, um, but but before we jump into some of those things, could you just kind of like give us a big overview of your story, how you became a pastor and what your experience in pastoral ministry has been like, especially compared to, um, and as a way of teeing us up into like how that has changed here recently. You know, I think the short of it is as far as how I got here was I was put here. I was, I bet like you, if I heard your stories of how you got into this, uh, I was coerced. Uh, by Jesus Christ, <laughs> this appears to be the way he does business, is yeah, he is. calls yokels uh, who don't have a great skill set for ministry and have no training for ministry and says, follow me, uh, I'm going to use you. And that's kind of the way it felt. Uh, it was, uh, and yet at the same time, it, it, because I came into ministry, um, I finished college in 68, and when I went to seminary, I, I really had the feeling that I'm preparing uh, to go into battle. It was uh, the civil rights movement and getting to know some really cool risk-taking pastors in the civil rights movement was a big factor in my wanting to go into the ministry. Um and when I got out of seminary and went back to South Carolina in 1971, I, I really felt like I was kind of entering a war. And uh, I was younger then. I was not as compromised and decrepit as I am now. But uh, <laughs> it was kind of like, hey, coach, put me in. I'm ready to go. And um, I, I'm really looking back that I had the privilege of going into ministry at such a time where it was clear to me that you could really get hurt following Jesus hmm. and speaking up hmm. for him. And that um, 
Jesus Christ spells trouble uh, from the very first, and that that's kind of part of his whole mission. That uh, and uh, I say I'm grateful because I, I fear that in recent decades, pastoral ministry has taken on some of the kind of therapeutic guys of a therapeutic culture and ministry has in some places it, it's feels like it's kind of degenerated into um, helping people's lives be a little less miserable rather than helping people be a, a great deal more useful uh, to hmm. Christ and his mission. Yeah, gosh, that's such a interesting point, and I'm just curious about the fact that you said that um, going into ministry, it felt like you were preparing to go into battle. I don't think most pastors would think of uh, preparing for ministry that way, and I, I really don't think most people in our churches would think that that's what ministry is all about. So help us understand, maybe this is just a basic question, but I think maybe this underlies a lot of um, what's going on with ministry right now? What are pastors for? What a wonderfully basic question. Uh, what are <laughs> pastors for? And I think it's a question that we have to continually agonize over. I mean, one problem is that uh, it's it's all too easy if you're not if you're not clear about what you're for and what you do that is most valuable. We have a long history as pastors. You can read about it in Brooks Hollifield's book, uh, History of Pastors in America and all. We have a long history of taking on what the world already believes is valuable mm. and worthwhile without having to submit to Jesus Christ <laughs> and his teaching about what's important and worthwhile. Well, And you, and, you entered into yeah. ministry during the civil rights era in the thick of it. And so... I'm just kind of curious how, especially as someone who entered into the civil rights era ministry in the South, how how very different the values of of Jesus were from uh, the world, and how not safely assumable that was in the way that we are called yeah. to love uh, across all kinds of of borders. Yeah. Well, in a way, I think looking back, things were were kind of clearer. You know it. You didn't have to be a theological genius to figure out that legal racial segregation was evil uh, and uh, that so that that was sort of a great part of that uh, and it was kind of clear to us at least kind of what you needed to do. Alas, I wouldn't say I was in the thick of it. There was sure more I could have done, and I could have certainly been more engaged and courageous. However, a, a big moment for me was I went to um, a conference one weekend sponsored by the Methodist Church on something like, uh, uh, and is God calling me? And uh, it was to be an exploration of Christian ministry. And I said to a buddy who invited me, I said, why should I go? I'm not... I think I'm headed to law school. And he said, uh, it's at Columbia College, 800 women. And I said, okay, that, that sounds interesting. 
And so, um, and I don't remember anything from that conference except Saturday night sitting in a motel room and there were like four or five youngish Methodist clergy and we college, few college students sitting on the floor with them. And, uh, they were, uh, smoking and drinking and cursing. And I, you know, I thought Methodist preachers were just, you know, kind of dull older guys in suits. I'd never seen anything like these clergy and one, and they started talking about their lives. And one of them, it had a brick thrown through the back of his windshield, uh, at a church meeting. Another one had had his wife, uh, verbally assaulted in the supermarket in the vegetable section because of a sermon he had preached the previous Sunday. Another had had his two children Mm. beaten up on the school grounds because they were uh, an N-word lover. Mm. And um, I sat there in my low undergraduate imagination uh, thinking, damn, what a great way to make a living. I, I didn't know this. I didn't know being a Methodist minister was this fun, much fun. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I thank God that that was an image that I had. And between there and now, I worry that ministers have now allowed pastoral care giving to trump all other as far as I can see, ministerial responsibilities, particularly the responsibility of being a servant of the truth. Mm. We have to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And failing at that, we we preach humanity and it slightly improved. Um, so so I, I think uh, uh, the question, what are preachers for? I'll just say for starters, they are to witness to Jesus Christ as God's answer to humanity. And they, they have to keep pointing to who God really is and what God is up to in the world. And that's the first thing preachers are for. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. As pastors, we don't talk so much about having a job or a profession as much as we talk about having a, a vocation or a calling. Um, we, we talk about having a sense of, or, of being called to ministry. How does how do those factors make pastoral ministry unique? Um, we, we all have friends and family members, people in our church who have a job that they're passionate about, but it seems like part of what you're saying is that there's a... Uh, a God-given job description that is um, behind what pastors are doing in their work. Um, yeah, I like the way you put that. I, I think I said I'm say you can't pay somebody to be a pastor. Uh, they've they got to be summoned uh, to do it. And um, I, I think working like as a college chaplain for twenty years, I learned what what a great gift it is to be called you know students would kind of college students walk around saying uh the predominant question was what should i do with my life where 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 should i go to law school should i do this should i do that and i i said well that's when i thank god i'm a christian because we don't actually get to answer that question uh rather 
it's we actually believe God is busy answering that question for us. You asked earlier, what are pastors for? There is a sense in which, I, you know, I, I don't have to come up with that answer. Uh, that, that pastor's purpose is defined by God and God's mission. And so therefore, for most of us, it becomes a way of life becomes a, a, a sense of discovering, being surprised at what God expects of us, uh, being surprised that we actually are not as bad at it as we thought we might be. And, um, <laughs> and then, uh, I mean, for instance, one great aspect of, of vocation is that I believe I could argue that I get to be a better person than I would have been if I'd been left to my own devices, if I'd gotten to choose mm -hmm. what I wanted to do with my life. Um, for instance, uh, somebody comes out of Duke Chapel one Sunday and was really upset about something she heard in my sermon and was just taking me to part uh, there at the front door. And as she was telling me that I was a disgrace, that I wasn't worthy to be in that pulpit, that she was going to report me to the president, <laughs> I thought, like that pagan gives a rip. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the... Uh, uh, well, I sat there, and w what I was thinking was, wow, you're telling me you have really been upset, even hurt, by something I've said, and um, I don't care. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Fine. Thank you for your feedback. Goodbye. Uh, and, and I sat there kind of dumbfounded at that thought, and, and I thought, I, I was elected president of my school class every year from the seventh grade on. And you don't get that way by being truthful. You don't get that way by being courageous. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of staggered back to my study and I said to the Lord, wow, you have made a basically deceitful, cowardly person like me into a fairly good spokesperson for the truth. It, it's only taking you 20 darn years to do it, but still, uh, Wow, that's that's pretty darned impressive. So, God, you could have grown me a little bit faster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come on, Lord. Uh, and the uh, so I think we ought to talk about not only the burden of vocation, but the blessing. And this is a prejudiced Christian comment, but the saddest of all things is to not have a life that has been summoned. Uh, to be hmm. thinking that the life you're living is your own. Uh, I feel like my life, as to some degree, is being commandeered uh, and used by God for God's purposes. And that can be great. I mean, particularly, it can be great when you stand before your the critics or those who would seek to um, uh, damage you. It, it's kind of powerful freedom to know they don't own you and that you're not ultimately accountable to them. And it's also wonderful when you expend a whole afternoon with a troubled 14-year-old as she tells you her problems. It's, it's kind of nice at the end of the day to say to the Lord, Lord, I would rather be doing anything this afternoon than, than wasting this afternoon like that. Uh, I hope you know what you're doing because <laughs> I can't see the purpose of this, but 
go for it. I, I'm, I mentioned that because I preached back at a church I'd served and a young woman came out and said, uh, remember me? And I didn't. And she said, uh, well, I have just gotten my doctorate of social work degree and I'm teaching at the University of South Carolina. And of course, you're the one that put me there. And wow. I said, what? And she said, you don't remember that Thursday afternoon when nobody showed up for the confirmation class and you sat there and condemned all of their parents and them for not showing up and I was the only one and <laughs> you said, call your mother and tell her, come pick you up. And I said, my mom's not available. Uh, she doesn't have a, you know, for the days of cell phones. And so you just said to me, uh, all right, come on, uh, let's go visit. And said, you went, well, you took me to the nursing home. Then you took me to the grocery store to visit uh, a guy that was working at the grocery store. And then you took me uh, to a woman that had cancer. And uh, it was the best day of my life and said, I just, I knew what I had to do with my life. Anyway, wow. I said, isn't that interesting? But I said, that's kind of so typical that God takes my puny stuff and works it up. Mm. It, it seems like one of the tensions that's inherent in in pastoral ministry, though, some of what you're describing is that pastors often have a different understanding of our role than what the than the understanding of the person in the congregation, right? And so, if I go to a doctor, the doctor and I are both in agreement about what the doctor's mm-hmm. role there is. If I go to uh, you know uh, a retail store, the owner of that retail store and I are both in agreement about what his role is. Um, but I feel like part of what you're describing is this tension where pastors have an understanding of our role that is different than the way many people in our congregation understand our function as pastors. I mean, how does that, that tension itself affect just maybe just the reality of, of pastoral ministry where I'm, I'm not just doing for you what you're asking me to do for you. Sure. It, you know, pastors are in a tough position because we've, I think we must expend more effort to teach people what we're for and to teach people what it is reasonable to expect Mm. of us and what's unreasonable to expect of us. And uh, remember that they've been trained when they hear the word pastor, all this stuff goes into action. They actually think they know what pastors are for. And every one of them has got a job description for you even though they haven't shared it with you and all, and thinks they're perfectly capable of sitting in judgment on you. So I think they need some training and uh, teaching. And and some of that is unlearning some of the definitions uh, that they have. And uh, for instance, I went to a church and I met with the staff parish relations committee, which is the personnel committee. And I said to them, Now, I've got on these note cards, three by five note cards, everything that I do in a week, uh, everything from answering correspondence to preparing a sermon to prayer, uh, visitation, everything, uh, each activity. Now, uh, 
if you leave me alone, I'm going to simply do what I did at the last church. Because, by the way, they loved it, and I was a huge <laughs> success. And um, But the sad thing is that may not be what God needs you to be doing with me here. So I'm going to leave the room, and I want you who know this congregation, I, I want you to arrange these in hmm. orders of importance. And I left the room. Uh, Forty minutes later, I come back, and they have put out on the table uh, – the order. The first thing they had down was preaching. And I said, that's weird because, I mean, I thought you might have put like visiting prospective members or something. And one of them said, you don't know anybody in this town. You don't know this town. That's our job. Wow. Uh, your job is to preach in such a way that we might actually want to invite somebody to come in here. Uh, that mm. hadn't happened in this church in a long time. <laughs> So then I, I pushed him a little bit and I said, well, you know, it's easy for you to ask for me to invest myself in preaching. But uh, let me tell you, I have to chisel these sermons out of stone, the biblical text, and it takes time, it takes prayer. It, uh, what are you going to do when I tell you, oh, I'm sorry, I can't meet with you today. I'm working on my sermon all day. And one of the women spoke up and said, well, frankly, I think we're worth it. You're spending an entire day working on your sermon and said, I speak for this whole committee. You go ahead and do whatever it takes you to do to preach vibrant sermons. And we promise to defend you and the use of your time and tell the congregation that's what we told him we most needed. Anyway, it was a little vignette. Yeah. Could I get the name of that church? <laughs> they, are, are they, they hiring? hiring? That sounds wonderful. No, they, sadly, uh, but they, they're still there. But um, all of them who were there when I was there are dead. But um, it, it does, I, I think, uh, you know, it it does take some negotiating and, mm. it, and, and also mm. some modeling. And when a pastor... I was, I shadowed some of my pastors when I would appoint them to churches. Um, we had a program the first 90 days and we told pastors who were moving, we want you to start work right now with your new church leaders and plan how you're going to spend your first 90 days, what you're going to do every day in your first 90 days. So that at the end of the 90 days, you will hmm. be their pastor. Things will be on the move. Well, I was with a, in a car, in a, group where they were the pastor was working on his first 90 days and um he said to them uh uh well here's here's my plan as it's developing and i'm going to spend my first uh, week uh, visiting all of our older homebound members and i sighed thinking oh lord here we go uh He's doing that because that's the only thing he knows how to do and he's most comfortable doing. But but I didn't I didn't say that. I didn't say anything. Well, thank the Holy Spirit, a layman spoke up and said, I'd be interested to know how you thought the most important thing we needed you to do your first week here was to visit our older shut in members. And so the pastor said, Well, I've picked up a, a good deal of resentment and hurt from some of our older members that they just feel like they've been neglected and put on the shelf uh, by us. And 
So the layman said, well, they're sucking Social Security dry for the rest of us. What else do they want? And uh, I said to the man, wow, that's you're an interesting layperson. <laughs> anyway, so, so I said to the layperson, well, if you don't think that's an appropriate goal, what would you suggest? And he said, well, I'd like to see our new pastor have a face-to-face conversation with every person in this congregation who's under hmm. 30. He said, it won't take you a whole week because we ain't got that many. But he said, I think that would send a signal to our congregation that you want us to have a future and that you actually believe God can give us a future. And uh, so I'm, I'm that it, it may be that pastors need to spend more time talking to some of our leadership in our churches and saying to them, now, here's what I enjoy doing and here's what I do, but I just want to check with you. Do you think this is mm-hmm. most what you need from me? And unfortunately, if you don't have a conversation, I bet you what happens, at least in my church family, what happens is that you just become the uh, quivering mass of availability. That's a hierarchy <laughs> for clergy. Uh, and... Uh, you, you just do pastoral care because that's easy. People are grateful. Um, and yet, but you don't step up and take responsibility and lead and teach uh, the way the church so desperately needs. So two things strike me about that. First, I am I just wrote down quivering massive availability because... Yeah, that's a great phrase. That, was, that, that struck way too close to home. Painful. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, what's, what strikes me about what you just described is how much the vocation and the role of, past, of, of a pastor, everything, the common denominator of everything you just described is what does the body and bride need? Like as a whole, it prioritized the collective, uh, the institution of the church over and above, but still including uh, its individual members. And one of the things, uh, like you, you first popped onto my radar when I heard uh, uh, you on the "For the Life of the World" podcast that um, Miroslav Volf has with the is it the Yale Center for uh, Spirituality or something like that? Um, and and you were you, you made a you you said something in there that has just really stuck with me, and I keep seeing it line up in my experience over and over again, it, which is um, that kind of pastors end up having expectations put on them that reflect the 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 like primary values of what the culture is going through at a time so and and the way you work that out is like right now we've kind of we're in the thick of or maybe even on the tail end of a a a rediscovery and and an appreciation for counseling and therapy and so in a lot of ways, a pastor is supposed to be like a free therapist, um, or 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 our shepherding is supposed to feel like or be experienced as one of therapy, and that actually uh, is very different from the role of shepherding in ways that are super important. And and when you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense because uh, you know the previous generation, like baby boomers, there was this kind of um, appreciation and um, valuing of business or corporate leadership. And that became an expectation of pastors too. But with each kind of successive generation, it's almost like we're not 
we're not swapping one out from from another. We're actually just adding and pile on. And so now pastors have to be, you know, corporate um, business leaders. They have to be therapists. They have to be, you know, maybe one way to to frame what may be coming down the pike next or, or is already here is, you know, you have to be an influencer. Um, I, I'm not sure. But like how much of that kind of compounding is contributing to, like, do you see that, uh, that compounding pressure and burden leading to burnout or contributing to burnout or anxiety among pastors now? Or like, how, how is that related to how this is affecting pastors? I, I do think, as you say, it, it is experienced by a lot of pastors. It's kind of piling on. Uh, my wife's father was a Methodist preacher. And he said, when he entered the ministry, you were supposed to preach and you were supposed to visit the sick. And that was kind of it. Uh, but that by the time he retired, uh, he was managing a recreational complex, a big volunteer organization with all kinds of volunteer programs. Uh, he was having to preach. Yeah. But that was only one part of it. Uh, and I, I, I think when pastors don't, back to your opening question, uh, when pastors can't answer the question, mm-hmm. what what are pastors for? We just tend to grab at anything that will give our lives some significance and that, will, that, that people value. Uh, the trouble is in North American consumeristic, individualistic, therapeutic culture, um, that can be dangerous and uh i know as a bishop i was sad to see how many pastors have deep resentment toward their congregations uh more than one pastor said to me things like my congregation caused my first heart attack or my congregation caused my divorce now admittedly they were methodists so they were passive aggressive and blaming this on other people but (laughs) Uh, that's a Methodist thing. Yeah, that's a Methodist thing. But still, (laughs) uh, what a terrible thing to say. And, and that, that, uh, again, to quote Hirawas, he says that the, the deep trouble begins in wanting to help people. If you go into ministry saying, I'm in ministry because I enjoy helping people in need, uh, you're in dangerous territory because in America, uh, rights have uh, what we've done is we've jacked up our desires uh to the level of rights it's my right to fulfill this desire uh if it's my need it's important and i define my need and i have a right to fulfill it and because we're just a bottomless pit of desire uh you're going to be worn out as a preacher running errands for the anxiously affluent and and so therefore we got to kind of define ourselves and what we do and don't do what's most important for us to do at this present moment and to be. And, um, so I I do think the pastor is not only under vocation, but the pastor is busy equipping the saints for the work of ministry, Ephesians, uh, equipping them for their vocation. That, that my primary task is not to care for people in their need and hurt and pain, but it's to bind up their wounds as best I can so 
they can get back into battle with Jesus and they can get mm. back into ministry. And um, I just, you know, it, it, it amazes me how much time some pastors waste at the hospital, even though they've had no medical training. Uh, it, it, and I'm, I think I remember George Buttrick saying to preachers right as I was starting ministry, any pastor can be helpful to somebody who's just gotten a bad cancer diagnosis. It doesn't take any theological training to be helpful. That person is desperate, desperate, they're fearful, just show up, fine. Uh, It takes a really consecrated pastor to show up when someone has just been named president of the bank and say to him, Joe, I'm worried about Mm. your soul. Um, We need to have prayer. Or when Mm. your daughter just got into Harvard and Mm. say, Mary, John, you know, she seemed like such a sweet girl in church youth group, but I've known a lot of bastards who graduated from Harvard. So let, how, how can I be helpful as your pastor in this moment? Uh, See, I, I really, I, 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 you're, you're turning things on its head for me because a lot of what you're describing and referring to when you were you know, t- saying like, you know, uh, ministering to the anxiously affluent you're you're paraphrasing out of an article that you co-authored with Stanley Harawas with the Christian Century that was published in July of last year and um it uh i think the i think a, an accurate way of saying this was it uh you got some feedback about that yeah. uh and it caused quite a <laughs> controversy in part because it was it was really calling out this kind of this model of pastoral care that confuses shepherding as merely being present when someone's having a hard time in life and it's not that that's like bad necessarily but when we reduce it to that you're actually uh communicating to people that the gospel has doesn't have anything to say about the good times or when you're going to be tempted to get you know root your identity in success and achievement and so could you could you talk a little bit about like why was that such a like why did that cause such a backlash um beyond the uh uh just the kind of like attempt to redefine and maybe some people felt threatened or like like it was taking away this this aspect of pastoral care that people actually valued like what what's at the root of that like what what did that expose that article you you know in a sense i i, I don't know i mean i'd be the last to know it'd be you could you could interview some of the critics uh you know (laughs) stanley and i thought we were busy encouraging pastors in a difficult time (laughs) to say hey what you're doing is important it ain't easy but god called you into this and this is this is your time to to be faithful uh unfortunately Mm. i noticed uh, two of the critics who took the trouble to write articles in rebuttal to our article um they were both professors uh most of the critics were professors of pastoral care with very limited or no pastoral experience themselves Mm. who saw us as somehow Mm. beating up on pastors i wanted to say you know i'm sorry jesus christ has called him into ministry but that's not my problem I mean, you know, uh, and how dare you act like 
their main significance is that they're here to be with people in pain. Uh, you know, no, but pain is part of being human. And it is very important for people, for pastors to be attentive to people in pain. Uh, the trouble is we have, there's another number of troubles, but we've magnified our pain now to, you know, like from a bad back to the fact that I'm not feeling appreciated or affirmed or etc. Uh, anyway, I just think, another thing, I, I'm sorry, I don't think the good news of Jesus Christ is primarily Jesus is here to help you with your pain and suffering. I think hmm. rather you could make a case. Jesus was pretty upfront about this. I'm here to put you in more pain than you've ever known. It's called cross uh, and it fits your back just fine. Or I think, I think Jesus Christ is more about vocation, salvation, rescue, and that, uh, this that pastors are better than nurses. <laughs> you know, I, you know I'm, mm. God bless nurses, and and <clears throat> we ought to pay them more and all. But uh, darn it, uh, it, it's I think we've we've got people who'd rather be healed than saved, and and that Christ is about larger things. So I thought a lot of the criticism just seemed to me a kind of a validation that we were on to something. And uh, absolutely. Well, I was even thinking about how much what the dynamic you're describing is a is like, well, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Because, um, you know, Stanley Harawas in, 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 in that article, one of the, the parts that he wrote, he says, both as an academic discipline and as a practice, pastoral care has become obsessed with the personal wounds of people in advanced industrial societies who have discovered that their lives lack meaning. <laughs> What did you expect? I want to ask these people. Quit taking yourself so seriously. Enjoy having your narcissism defeated by being drawn into the church's eschatological mission to witness to Christ's cross and resurrection. That's care worthy of the name Christian. And what I love about that is like, oh, of course. It's, it's, we can't continue to be therapeutic caregivers and provide the meaning that people are long are actually and legitimately longing for in part because we have had to put that down to be therapeutic caregivers so it's you you actually can't do both well and and, and nor should you be able to as a pastor because that like that's just not Jesus's own example in his ministry i think some of my worst moments of ministry because uh, occurred because i was not honest enough to talk about, to think about, to be honest with myself about how much I want to be wanted and I need to be needed and how much I get out of spending a lot of time around people in pain. Mm. Um, uh, one, I'm free <laughs> and um, uh, to talk mm. to them about the problems. And I, I just think uh, ministry, I, I'm, I'm, I've been summoned for more. And mm. one of the things I don't understand about Jesus Christ is he, he loves to take wounded, hurting people who may be people who are victims of terrible injustice. And he thinks nothing about calling them to discipleship and saying, yeah, 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 I know all that. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you now to, uh, to go into to, to service for me. 
I want you to confront evil. I'm going to turn the world upside down with you. And it's no good to say, well, I'm sorry, this is not a good time for me, or I have a, a con- medical condition that, that I, I, you know, he doesn't care, and he calls you anyway. Well, mm-hmm. I think that's that's a weird part of the Christian faith. And uh, a student was telling me that in a preaching class, the preaching professor actually said, the way you begin a sermon to prepare a sermon is think about the wounds and the wounded in your congregation and then preach to the wounds. And, and I thought, what, where in the heck do you get that from the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ? Um, I, I try not to bring up my woundedness to Jesus because <laughs> I, I worry that Jesus would said. Have you had a spear in your side yet? Have they nailed your <laughs> fingers to wood yet? Okay, you ain't got a problem. You're okay. You're fine. <laughs> and so it, it, and maybe I heard this in your question. Maybe we are such a therapeutic society that because people don't have anything meaningful to be in their lives. Hmm. Other than mm-hmm. a happy, contented, uh, emotionally, sexually well-satisfied person, well, you know, I'm sorry, that's less than Jesus' definition of humanity. We'll get back to the interview in just a second. One of the challenges of our new cultural moment is online static. There's so much content. There's so much input. There are so many things competing for your attention and right now. And most of it isn't actually helping you deal with this new reality in a constructive way. If anything, it is making it more difficult and more cluttered. That's why we launched the Everything Just Changed newsletter. It's an actually short email, not a conceptually short email, that cuts through the static to let you know every time there's a new episode on Everything Just Changed. So if you're interested, just take 30 seconds to click the link on the show notes and sign up. I want to see if I can um, bring a couple things together here because Brad and I started this podcast. Um, I don't know what six eight weeks into the pandemic when it when it seemed like the culture wars were just being heightened by lockdown, mask mandates, and then after the murder of George Floyd, and um, it, it feels like what's happening culturally in the United States right now in some ways is both sides are sort of yelling about their respective right to feel aggrieved and pastors are feeling stuck in the middle and getting torn. You know, if I say something to this side, then that side's mad at me and vice versa. Uh, I mean, how have you seen the pandemic affect the nature of pastoral ministry? Is it, has it affected it? Has it accelerated uh, trends that we've already seen? Or is it just, no, this is just more of the same stuff? Um, I'm, I think it's mixed. I've, I've been spending a lot of time listening to pastors in the last uh, month or so. And uh, I think, uh, you know, now that it appears we're, we're getting out of the pandemic, but I, I think for some pastors, it was an amazingly invigorated time where they had to be creative and do ministry differently, and they had to devise new ways of staying in contact with their people. And 
they had to reevaluate uh, things like, well, how valuable was a lot of the stuff we were doing before the pandemic? Now that we can't afford some of that stuff now, hey, <laughs> fine. <laughs> we, we should have pulled the plug on it before. Uh, but you've also got pastors who have been terribly disillusioned that people are not coming back to their congregations. They're asking themselves, have, have I deluded my people through my preaching into thinking that Christianity is a solo kind of stay-at-home phenomenon, a do-it-yourself, uh, that that church as we've done it for some people, uh, they're saying, hey, I'm I'm fine. I don't, I don't need it. Uh, I, I don't need the therapy you've been offering. Um, so it, it's, it's mixed. Uh, I do, uh, you know, and one pastor was telling me that he said, I, I don't know that my people ever considered that they might have to die <laughs> until the pandemic hit. And then it becomes kind of a, a, a reality in a new way. Uh, I also, you, you mentioned about the mask and all, I, uh, a major reason from what I've heard that some pastors are calling it quits is they have been so demoralized that this church they were serving has actually split up sides and is killing each other off over mask mandates. You know, they ought to be fighting over the Trinity or, or something interesting, but uh, and when people say, you know, my right as an American is threatened by my having to wear a mask, that's cranking down America to a fairly low level. I mean, wow, uh, we we fought for this, yeah, and 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 um, but it has also been a, you know, when people say, you know, I'm I'm not going to sit here and listen to any more criticism of our president and his family you know just a sense that wow the usa has taken over the kingdom of god in my imagination and that's been hard for pastors but maybe it's also a call to pastors that if you actually believe that uh if you're actually considering leaving your church over a mask mandate or uh uh, you know, hey, in-person worship. Wow, uh, this is a call for teaching. It's it maybe is a call for preaching, and um, so. Uh, well, I mean, I, I just one of the through lines in this that is really hitting me, and I'm I'm actually in hindsight really glad that our first conversation uh, didn't save because I, I hadn't I didn't make this connection before, which is all of these seem like symptoms of like a culture and a people that is that are having its its sources of meaning its lesser sources of meaning just stripped away by the pandemic and 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 when you're not able to satisfy or scratch that itch um, or it requires a greater and greater doubling down on the drug of polarization in order to find that meaning it, it isn't sustainable and so the, there is this change. Uh, people want to leave. They want to like find a new thing because this isn't doing it for me any, anymore. And that's almost a kind of a, a confession in a sense that you haven't been, you actually haven't been getting your meaning from anything transcendent. It's actually a very temporary 
temporal thing that you that you are doing so. And so uh, you said in the the kind of you know digital green room before we started this that you're hearing from a lot of pastors who are like reflecting and asking this question of have I communicated at some point in my ministry that worship is optional? Like that coming to church with the gathered people of God to worship the Trinity, like that, that is actually, I I feel like that, that, that kind of wrestling and questioning is very, very related to where we're getting all these alternative meanings from. And, and it strikes me as very, uh, I'm just like, I'm kind of processing out loud right now that like we haven't made much of a connection between that dynamic and the optionality we have uh, as a posture toward Sunday worship, because that that is in many ways the, the primary regular ordinary means of grace or source of meaning and identity where we are shaped and formed as Christians. And so can you, can you talk about how, like how, how are you hearing other pastors wrestle with that difficulty? And uh, because I think there are some pastors or some church leaders out there who are like, you know what, we need to not need or rely on Sunday morning because that's clearly not working anymore. So we need to do something different. Is that the right option? Or do we need to like figure out how to communicate the, the necessity of Sunday morning to our people? I, uh, remember, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm of a, passing generation and all, but I'd, I'd say the latter, that I think uh, Sunday, we, well, I, I'd say we we Christians believe we have the sort of God whose nature is to bring people together, to, to assemble us. Uh, Christ came. Why do you have 12 disciples? Well, look, get it. He's, he's reassembling Israel, scattered Israel. He says, I've only come for the scattered sheep. Uh, I'm going to bring them into the fold, etc." And that's kind of what this God does. And I think, unfortunately, we have slipped into a rationale for ministry is that, that um, sing these songs, follow these practices because it's good for you. You'll be better for it. You'll have a happier life. Follow these biblical principles. You'll have a better marriage. You'll do this and that. When when I think at the heart of it is um, do this, say this, sing this, because this is who God is. This is actually the truth about God, otherwise mm. known as reality. Uh, this 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 is who God is, and. We don't know if this will help you have a happier life or not. We we kind of suspect it will. You might have to rearrange some of your definitions of happiness. Uh, but uh, the first point is this is God's idea of a good time. And uh, I, I think about, you know, for instance, a little thing like church. Uh, um, we're in church not because we have found something that really meets our needs or because uh, we found a group of people at last that we kind of are on the same page with and agree with. No, we, we're we in, people are in church because Jesus Christ dragged them in the door in some way and, and we're kind of stuck with them. And when I complained to Jesus mm. about all these political Neanderthals that I got to kind of be the body of Christ with... <laughs> You know, he, I don't think he cares to say, hey, 
this is, remember, I was crucified because I saved people you didn't even want saved. Uh, so that's kind of my, what I do. Mm. And church is a way of experiencing that. So I, I like, I, I'm not much on transcendence, but uh, I'm kind of more into kind of like incarnation. But but I, I do think uh, it's a sign that maybe we have, tried to sidestep the theological purposes of the church and its ministry. And I still think the only, the most interesting thing we have to say, the only reason to get out of bed at an inconvenient hour and come down uh, to church is it's called Jesus Christ. It That's what we have to say that the world doesn't know and cannot know uh, unless we Show it. Say it. Well, uh, a couple just kind of final questions here. One one of the um, big segments of our of our audience is uh, people who are pastors, and and one of the things that we've heard from a lot of pastors is that ministry, the experience of ministry, has turned out very different than they expected ministry to be like when they were in seminary. And, um, I, I even just think about in some ways about my own experience. I grew up in a, uh, in, in the kind of nineties in a large, uh, church. I think the, 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 you know, career path quote unquote looked like, you know, you, you go to seminary, you get a job as a youth pastor, then you become a small group pastor. Then eventually maybe you become the, the senior pastor, uh, from, a, from a, distance, it looked a lot more stable than <laughs> ministry has felt. Um, <laughs> the Barna Group recently reported that something like 40% of pastors have considered quitting ministry in the last year. Um, I think the other 60% were probably lying. But <laughs> I'm just wondering, um, you know, that's just reflective of the, the reality that a lot of pastors are struggling right now. And and I'm wondering, as I'm hearing you talk about the nature of ministry, if it feels like what you're describing is something more akin to Jacob wrestling with God, where Jacob has expectations of what should be happening, and God's coming and and, and essentially wrestling Jacob out of those um, expectations is part of what we're experiencing, maybe. Um, the necessity of the transformation of pastors themselves. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I think uh, generally a kind of a rule of leadership and change is that if you want to change a church, probably your toughest change is going to have to be you. Uh, what are the changes you got to make in order to lead the change that you'd like? And, Sometimes that requires being honest about the ways that I am reluctant to change, the way that I, uh, I've heard from a lot of pastors, ministry is not what I expected it to be. Well, then it's important to ask, well, now, what did you expect? Um, and there is a sense in which a lot of us came into ministry with inadequate expectations for ministry or uh you know, I mean, if if I thought ministry was going to be like growing up at a big downtown Methodist church in Greenville, South Carolina, during legal segregation, if I thought it was going to be a continuance of that, uh, 
uh, I hear the Lord saying, I hope not. Uh, why do you think I've called you? I've called you because I'm not happy with that. Uh, that's mm. where you come in. So, uh, or sometimes <laughs> clergy, because we are protected from many of the stresses and strains of the world, uh, sometimes that makes us unrealistic. Uh, I remember uh, uh, we did a survey in our annual conference about clergy, about what sort of church do you see yourself in in the future? And the bishop came back and said, uh, 70% of you say, I want to be in a suburban church uh, in, in the future. That's where I see myself serving. And the bishop said, it's South Carolina, people. Wake up. We ain't. He said, I counted. That limits you to about 25 <laughs> of our entire 500 churches. Uh, do the math, people. If that is your goal, you need to leave. You need to go to Minnesota or somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you see his point. Uh, another thing is that I think I won't impress upon clergy that if, if you say ministry is not what I intended it to be, there is a sense. Uh, you might say, well, welcome to working with a living God. Hmm. He is a God of the living and not of the dead. Um uh, there are going to be some changes along the way. That's the nature, uh, as, as Robert Jensen used to say, uh, the way you can tell the difference between a dead God, an idol, and a living God is a dead God will never, ever surprise you. Well, well, mm. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit just loves to surprise. And so that means it's kind of unfair for me to say, oh, wait a minute, I, I'm, I thought ministry was going to look like this. And the Holy Spirit says, surprised. Uh, well, fine. You know, I'm on the move. I, I'm, I'm tired of being located here. I want to relocate. And um, so I, I do think what this means is that you work, you give your life in service to a living God. You better be prepared to relocate. <laughs> you better be flexibility is a Christian virtue. Uh uh, being surprised that, wow, and, and how many pastors I've heard say, uh, well, not as many as I'd like to say, but say to me, Bishop, I never thought I would like this kind of church. I never saw myself in this situation, mm -hmm. but here I am. And um, I found out God got here before I did. God is busy. I am seeing things that I feel privileged to get to see. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that really resonates with me because if I, if I, you know, I, similar to what you were describing in your own story, I very much kind of felt, uh, called into ministry in part because I was very aware that this was there, this was battle and combat in a spiritual sense. And, uh, and I didn't feel like I had the freedom to sit on the sidelines. However, I did. I, what was surprising in the ways that it was still, um, in a lot of ways, I feel like not what I expected was. I think in hindsight, I had a lot more uh, naivety around, and then maybe an, maybe an over optimism of, well, if I just lead and bring people along enough, and that if we do this together enough, then we'll be able to like 
bring the the difficulty threshold down to a certain level as opposed to like no no when you do this with people and when you do it together enough that just means uh that you are more vulnerable to uh hurt because you're actually more incarnation incarnationally invested in people who are just as much a sinner as you are and and vice versa and that actually Ooh, uh, yeah, you just don't have it. There's, there's no way to like prepare for that except to just, uh, have the bandaid ripped off, I think. So that, yeah. And, and and by the way, I, uh, when you talk about young coming into ministry and all, I, I do think there are pastors out there who say this isn't what I went into ministry for and all. I think that can often be a good thing good thing. And that can mean, uh, I, I urge pastors, I say, think about yourself when you entered the ministry. Uh, is this what attracted you? Uh, keeping house, keeping these little group of people content? Or, or did you have a more of a sense of adventure? And have you allowed that adventure to dissipate? Uh, and uh, I respect deeply those pastors who say, you know, I love my first 10 years of ministry and I found it exciting and interesting. But my second decade of ministry, I really felt like it was getting to be routine. I was running out of steam. And so I'm leaving the pastoral ministry so I can stay in ministry. <laughs> and and I think that's wow. beautiful. And sometimes a happy pastor is just somebody who gave up too soon. <laughs> and somebody that has quit hoping um, that it can be different, and uh, so that also. So sometimes our discontent can be u- utilized by God to say. Uh, and as we close, I, I remember I had an Episcopal priest come to see me, and he said, uh, "I've been in ministry twenty-two years, and I'm I'm leaving." I'm just so bored with the church and I've had enough of soothing hurt feathers and ruffle feathers and all. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. So I, we talked and I said, yeah, it sounds like you're somebody on the way out. And have you, have you told your people? And he says, I'm going to tell them this week at the vestry meeting. Anyway, I said, well, please let me know how that goes. I, I want to hear. From, I never heard from him again. Well, about three weeks later, I woke up and said, whatever happened to that priest? I wonder how all that went. So I called him and he's, I said, are you out? Have you left? He said, oh, no, no, I'm over that. I'm fine. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, thanks for letting me know. I've been worried about you, praying for you. And um, he said, well, I tell you, at the vestry meeting, I, when we ended the meeting, I said, I have an announcement. After 20 something years of ministry, I'm, I'm leaving and said there was a gasp. And I said, when I came into the priesthood, I was excited. Uh, but I'll tell you, this is not exciting. Uh, and I really, I've just, I don't, I don't want, I'm tired of keeping the house here. And he said, do y'all realize that you spent the last meeting, you spent an hour and a half talking about paving the parking lot. And that, that's just the last straw. And <clears throat> He said a couple of people kind of teared up and everything. He said one of our oldest members in the vestry spoke up and said, uh, well, uh, so let me get this straight. You're saying that there's something God wants you to do in ministry, 
that we somehow have kept you from doing that we won't allow you to do? And she said, I, I didn't, I thought you were happy. I thought this was the most you could do as a priest. Have you, have you told us what your vision for the church is that we're not meeting? I, I've heard most of your sermons. I've heard nothing in any of your preaching that would suggest to me uh, you have any vision beyond the present. And she said, did it ever occur to you that some of us are just as bored as you are? <laughs> and he said, I just, I started hyperventilating. I could, but he said, we stayed and we talked and we cried and we had prayer. And that meeting lasted till midnight and I am still in the ministry and I am wow. ready to roll. And, and it just, it makes you yeah, wonder. Makes that is you beautiful. Wonder. I, I wonder if some of our discontent is divinely instigated and that some of our laity, uh, if they're still with us, uh, feel some of that same mm. discontent and long for us to step up and say, you know, I think I was called for mm. more. Is anybody else here who thinks there may be more? Uh, you want to talk? Mm. That that sounds, uh, I mean, boredom sounds pretty exciting right now. Uh, but that's <laughs> we're, maybe we're in a different place, but, uh, last question here because, because, uh, this is, this is so good. Like this is really encouraging. And, um, there's, there's the kind of encouragement that comes from, uh, you know, a breath of fresh air. Then there's the kind of encouragement that is the, uh, you know, a bucket of ice water dumped on your head. And this is a little bit more of the latter, but like, we don't get this very, very often, I think, you know, um, what? Well, you're the young guys that are hip and oh. <laughs> out west, and you know. Well, if you say so, I'm headed to the if last roundup. So, thank you. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna uh, quote you on that. Uh, you know, you guys are the hip ones. We should put that. Mind. We should put that on our website. Actually, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but uh, what, I want to ask one more question because I, I, I want to anticipate something that I think that the kind of the other half of our audience may maybe hearing inadvertently or experiencing which is in a in a season and after a few to several years of what feels like a nonstop drip of of story after story of institutional abuse both inside the church and outside the church but as it relates to the church um for those who are either anxious about that or have experienced institutional abuse themselves to, to hear a uh, kind of a perspective on pastoral care that sounds, and I, I, you know, I don't think is less compassionate, but sounds less concerned over uh, about wounds that the church may have caused. How do you, how would you um, encourage those who um, are, 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 Gosh, maybe just have a lot of anxiety around uh, the the you know investing in the church when the church is responsible for so much of that, or or, or if that how that's how it seems. How would you encourage them to not quit on the church and on pastors? Maybe I, I guess one as a pastor, I'm 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 angry. I'm humiliated when mm. any of my fellow pastors betray that vocation. The fact that a vulnerable human being in need should come before their pastor and that the pastor take advantage of that uh, for selfish gratification. I mean, it was terrible uh, yeah, and abuse absolutely. power in that way. And, and I think we ought to admit it. The, the, uh, and, and yet 
and also ought to name it as evil. And um, at the same time, the, the church, <laughs> it may be the bride of Christ, but hey, she sleeps around and, uh, you know, has never been able to keep her marriage vows uh, fully. Um, and and uh, therefore, we... we we, uh, if if you're looking for the betrayers of Jesus Christ, look first at those who gathered around the table with him, uh, as as Judas has had his successors, um, and and just to say, you know, uh, that testimonial. In my introduction to ordained leadership class, I have them write out their call story for me, mm. and uh, I say. Uh, tell me how God explains your presence at Duke Divinity School. Uh, let, let's hear that. Uh, always I get at least eight or ten people who report abuse as young people, uh, children by clergy. And I'm just horrified at that. And I, I say to them, I, I just think it's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Why are you here? How, you know, what would you, you're preparing for ministry and that. But I think all of them were blessed with a sense of this ain't the way it's supposed to be. And mm. that person represents a horrible perversion of ministry. And I tell them all, you know, going into ministry, this is a gift. You've seen an otherwise, quote, good person, a caring, kind person lose his way. And it's usually a him. Uh, and and get horribly confused. I also, maybe finally to say that I think it, it adds a note of urgency to our early discussion. You better know what you're for. And if you think you are called to be the all-sufficient, uh, caring, eternally best friend of everybody in the congregation, you're in grave danger. You're not their best friend. You are not their lover. You're just their pastor. And mm. you're the one that keeps pointing to Jesus Christ uh, in, in their behalf. And um, to get, I remember being on a TV hookup with Hirawas, uh with Methodist clergy. And clergy was, Hirawas uh, was asked about clergy immorality. And he says, it all starts, the trouble starts in wanting to help people. And you go into ministry with no theological discipline other than you, know, you want to help people. And so they say, well, little Johnny needs picking up after school and uh, you're not working. So could you pick up little Johnny? And you say, well, I want to help people. Okay. And then, um, uh, <laughs> and so-and-so needs, uh, could you visit mama? Because it depresses us to visit mama in the nursing home and said, yeah, I want to help people. And, and then he says, you're, you're really ready for someone who needs some help with love. And next thing you know, you're having sex on your desk at the church. And I said, whoa, that's a fairly big jump there from the nursing <laughs> to the desk. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, the more I thought about it, th there is truth in that, that, that I need to keep being reminded that I am a sinner who has been enlisted by God, uh, to help uh, save fellow sinners uh, as a, and all. And um, therefore, that means that I need to keep checking myself out, keep taking a critical appraisal of myself and the way I use my power. Uh, and 
at the same time, uh, just keep being reminded that God has called me for more than than simply mm. my self gratification. Well, anyway, thank you guys. Wow. Hey, no, thank you. This is this has just been this is really great because I, I just a lot of people are starting to talk about individualism and that's a much needed development and I'm so glad. This is incredibly practical though. And, and, and you're connecting mm-hmm. some dots that I think for a lot of us have just ha- have stayed to in the clouds and you're bringing it down to earth. And I, I just oh, really appreciate that, great. especially. Well, I like, I love your podcast. Thank you for everything. Thank you so much. Our pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us today. It was wonderful. All right, Brad, uh, super fun conversation with Will Willeman. What just changed for you after listening to, uh, after, after talking with him? Man, I, um, I am really chewing on still, especially, uh, the, the last thing that he was saying, because, uh, that really helps connect some dots for me. I, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's hitting me that this therapeutic mindset that he's describing and the expectations of, of pastoral care as defined, kind of along those terms, it, it strikes me that that might actually, that's actually part of what is uh, leading to a lot of church abuse, right? And, you know, mm. there's a, we have a, a therapist in our own church, her name's Elizabeth, shout out to Elizabeth, um, who, you know, I've talked with her a lot over the years about how, uh, how similar and different our kind of respective roles are. And one of the things that she's articulated over the years is how, uh, how impossible she would find it to do the kind of pastoral care side of things that I do in part because she is so, she needs so badly and, and, and relies on the very clear concrete boundaries of, mm. you know, I am, you are my client and I am your therapist. We are not in, you know, we are not friends outside of the space. We are friendly toward each other, but like that's, that's not a an uncaring, uncompassionate thing. That's actually a really healthy boundary. That's not just for the therapist's sake, but also for their sake. And to, because if you're going that deep and you're going uh, into some of those places, not that the gospel doesn't have anything to say about that, but it's a it's a it's a different role that requires a different set of boundaries hmm. than you know pastoral care and ministry. And so, um, like that it strikes me how much that is actually really good news for those who are wary of church abuse. Uh, that, that like <laughs> that what Will Willimon was saying is actually part of the solution to, and, and part of what the church needs to do differently and what pastors need to do differently in order to prevent that from being as systemic as it is currently. Um, and just even thinking through the lens of like, you know, what that means in terms of the difference being between being helpful to people versus being useful to God. And uh, j- that just the difference of that language of being helpful to people versus useful to God. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I really, I'm like, man, I want to, I want to kind of like put that in my back pocket and pull it out and see and, and use it as a filter to test it now. And, and I think that can be really helpful. Yeah. 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 I, I actually, I mean, what I was going to just reflect on is maybe slight, a slightly different take on that same idea um, that that wanting to help <laughs> actually said is the problem, yeah. and <laughs> I, I mean, uh, I, I pers- at a personal level, I f- I find that actually very freeing because temperamentally I am not maybe um, 
typical of a lot of pastors of like, I don't, I, I'm not strong in like the counseling kind of aspect of pastoral ministry. And so having the freedom to sort of be able to say to people like, this is what my role here is. And also I really need to help. I really need to connect you with a counselor because you do need this sort of help, but that's not my job. Well, and, and that that's actually what's best for, like, that's how you serve that, them. That's best. what I mean. Yes. Yeah. That's what I mean. Totally. And I, it, it kind of, um, one of the things that has struck me a lot recently is just Jesus' willingness to let people down. Um, mm. Maybe it's not the best way to say it because he's, you know, he he's healing when we're looking for a cure. But often that healing begins with not doing for people what they're asking Jesus to do. Yeah, and, and if we are too eager. I mean, there is almost like the savior complex at work You're when kidding. we're saying, oh, this is what you want me to do. Okay, I'm willing to do that for you. Mm. An over eagerness to help people can actually get us into really unhealthy places in ministry where we're not functioning in a healthy way. Mm. And then we can, that can actually lead to some really bad consequences. So yeah, right. um, like, yeah, like that's like uh, maybe a, a way of saying that would be like, you know, our, our wounds and our hurts may be what brings us to Jesus, but that's not all that Jesus is concerned with. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to let his concern for you as a holistic image bearing human being be subservient to your expectations. Mm hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. But I also found it helpful because again, like personally, temperamentally, I'm actually pretty okay of just kind of saying like no, like I'm not going to do that. But the comment that he made uh, uh, that Will made about you know, maybe we actually just have to educate people about what pastors do. And that, you know, that could come out in sermons, but that can also just come out in a very simple, okay, we're having this conversation. Here's what my job here is. Mm. And so here's how I'm going to help connect you with these other resources. Yes. That's yes. super helpful to me. Yes. Well, and and gosh, the, the thing that we didn't really talk about much in there is, okay, what, if there is a pastoral responsibility to shepherd and care for people in ways that are maybe more biblical and less therapeutic than we've been talking about and, and thinking about, um, but what does the body of Christ uh, bear in terms of responsibility for caring for its own members, right? Like how, how does the community that is mm. the people of God, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways we are, we expect of pastors was it's actually, that's actually the church's job as a whole. Uh, in the sense of being the family to, you know, the spiritual family uh, right. of God to one another uh, in ways that are like, actually, that's the vocation of being a Christian. Right, right. Yeah. 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 I mean, which which is connected to the comment that he made uh, uh, about the, you know, uh, pastor who's been in ministry, you know, 20 years, um, who's saying, I'm leaving vocational ministry so that I can still be engaged in ministry. Right, mm. because but p- pastors aren't the only ones that are in ministry. Yes, yes, right. absolutely, man. Yeah, I, I just, I really like the guy. Man, He's I really hilarious. like him. Super fun person to talk to. <laughs> Super funny. Um, yeah, loved it. Awesome. Thanks for listening. If you're new around here, please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast. 
When you subscribe, it means you won't miss future episodes. And it's an encouragement to keep making great content. The podcast is hosted by Bryce Hales and Brad Edwards. It's edited by Nathan Michelle. Theme music is by Danny Rankin and David Rigel designed our logo. We'll talk to you next time on Everything Just Changed.